Guys, so tonight we're, we're back together for our first time after our Christmas break. So we decided, you know what, let's have middle school and high school uh, together. And I actually was really excited to be able to present uh, this passage that we're going to be looking at tonight in the book of Acts to both of your uh, groups here, both middle school and high school. So if you're in high school and you don't know who I am, maybe this is your first time here, or you've, uh, you've not been in a while, or you've just never seen me, I haven't, I haven't spoken up here in a while, my name's Curtis, I'm the middle school pastor here, so I hang out with our students that are in 6th to 8th grade. And tonight I just want to ask um, a question. Because I think it's one that we really, if we're honest with ourselves, it's something that sits deep inside of us. And it's a question we, we sometimes struggle to actually ask out loud. We, we're worried if we've been in church long enough that it's not a safe question to ask. So I want us to ask a real question. And it's this, is can we trust God when things look bad as much as we do when things are going great? There's a difference there, right? Like, can we, it's not just can we trust him, but can we trust him just as much? Can we trust him the same despite what the circumstances in our lives might be at any given moment? I'm going to tell you about a time in my life where it was really hard for me to do that. And this is a story that I've shared with uh, a lot of people. I don't think I've ever shared it. I don't know if I've ever shared it in full um, in a message before. I've shared it with some of you maybe. Uh, some of you leaders might have heard me talk about this and how impactful it was in my life. Uh, but it's a story of my friend John Flood. And my friend John, uh, I, I met him. He'd been a, a friend of one of my friends uh, for a long time. So I met him later in life. We were both in our, in our 30s where I'm still in my 30s. Those of you that are guessing I'm older, knock it off. All right. But I, so that tells you this is fairly recent. Okay, um, about three and a half, four years ago is when this all went down, right before I moved uh, here to Washington from California. And my friend John had just exited the military. Uh, he was in the Air Force, but he was part of what would have been considered like the Special Forces version of the Air Force. He flew helicopters in to rescue people who uh, were in danger, guys that needed to be brought out uh, from wherever they were pinned down. And uh, John came home from the military, and John uh, had what some of you guys have heard, PTSD, right? He had post-traumatic stress disorder. And I remember very vividly, I still have the texts in my phone, and you'll find out there's a reason why I, I refuse to delete my texts from John Flood in a moment. Uh, but John texted me in the middle of the night one night, and he said, Curtis, I will give you the PG version. Uh, John was a work in process. Uh, but John said, basically, Curtis, I'm, I'm scared to death right now. I woke up in the park around the corner from my house. I don't know how I got here. I'm crawling through the creek in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the park, and I'm terrified that there's somebody after me. And John is a big dude. I mean, big. Like, you think Cameron, those of you guys that know Cameron, you think Cameron's big? Cameron's tiny. Okay, John is a big man. And he is terrified. He's crawling through a creek in a park in the middle of the night. And he doesn't know how he got there. Well, John eventually actually starts serving with 
our youth ministry at our church where I was over all of family ministry over middle school and high school. And he's one of those guys that just jumped into ministry, both feet. I mean, he was a middle school leader, a high school leader. He uh, came to everything. Anytime we said, hey, we need help setting this up or building this or whatever, he was there. Every moment he could be there, he was just soaking everything in, growing in his relationship with Jesus. And students loved John. And I think one of the reasons that students loved John is John was one of the most real people they'd ever met. He was just real and honest with them. Have you guys met adults like that that are just real and honest with you? And you, they level with you like you're an equal? That's John. And then I was away at a pastor's conference And John was at our house watching our two Cocker Spaniels at the time. My whole family was gone. We came back a night early, so I texted John and said, Hey man, we won't won't need you to come over tonight. We're on our way back. And I didn't know that that text exchange was the last time that I would ever talk to my friend John Flood. And I got this really weird text message from a girl I didn't know the next morning saying, Curtis, Curtis, you need to call me, you need to call me. And I was like, okay, this is John's girlfriend and she's just being really frantic and she's, like, and she's giving me this information about something happened to John. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. And so I called Paul, John's dad, and I said, hey, um, uh, this girl's texting me. She's going crazy. She's saying that John died. Like, what's going on? And he goes, yeah, John died last night. And John had been out with a bunch of his friends and he'd gone out to uh, celebrate a softball win and they went to a local bar in downtown Morgan Hill and someone was harassing a young lady outside and he went to stop that from happening and the guy hit him and knocked down a guy who was like 6'7", 280 and he fell and hit his head on the curb and it was it. And everything that was happening before that was amazing. Everything in John's life was going right. And I remember thinking, I'm, I'm standing in the office, because remember I came back early from this pastor's conference, and I remember hitting the floor and just screaming at God. I was so angry. How is this part of your plan? This is not supposed to happen. And let me give you some more insight into the, what I think is the... the just give some context to this whole situation. John's older brother, Paul Jr., died when he was a child. So his parents are now childless. And they are past the age where they're going to have any more. John's son no longer has a father. Friends and students at my church are in mourning. I'm going to pause my story. So I want to give you guys my big idea for tonight, and it's this. Is that the Holy Spirit can deliver followers from any trial. This is what we're going to see in our text tonight. But we need to trust him even when he doesn't. And if you're unfamiliar with where we're at, we're in Acts chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19, and I'm going to catch you up real quick. The, the fast version is this. Jesus came to this earth, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect, sinless life. He never messed up, never did anything wrong. And yet he died on a Roman cross and rose from the dead three days later. He conquered sin, the thing that we all struggle with, and he conquered death so that we might have eternal life with him if we would turn to him. And accept him as Lord and Savior. Someone who can save us and someone who is the boss of our lives. The Bible says that if we do that, we have salvation. We're saved in Christ. And we get to have eternal life with him in heaven. And 
this all happens and there's these guys that have been following him around and Jesus appears to them and then they start this thing called the church. And the church is exploding. I mean, we read in multiple times in the book of Acts that, that, that God is adding to their number daily. Like, I mean, I think sometimes we get stoked when like a couple friends show up to youth group, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I know we had some friends that joined us tonight in, in middle school, and that's cool. We're happy you guys are here. But think about this. The church was, the, God was adding to their number daily. And at some points we find that in a matter of days, it grew by like 5,000. It's insane what's going on. So we pick up and there's these two guys that you're going to need to know about in this passage named James and Peter. And if you're unfamiliar with their story, James and Peter were two of the 12 guys that followed Jesus around for three years while Jesus did his earthly ministry, healing people, teaching people, performing miracles, doing all kinds of crazy things. And it starts this way in verse 1. It was about this time... The King Herod, King Herod is the, uh, the king of the, of the Jews at that time. He's king over Israel. He's kind of like a pawn of Caesar. He doesn't have ultimate power, but he has some power. Uh, that King Herod arrested some who belonged in the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, another one of Jesus' disciples, put to death with the sword. He has him publicly executed. When he saw that this met with, the, with approval among the Jews, and there's people like this, they were excited that he was killing Christians, he proceeded to, uh, to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to, the, uh, to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Read there, public trial means public execution. He intends to kill Peter in the same way that he killed John. And he doesn't want Peter to escape. He has him guarded by 16 armed guards. It's this serious business. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up, quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. When I get this picture, I don't think this is actually what happened, but have any of you guys seen Harry Potter, like the cloak of invisibility? I don't know if like, that's how he got out of prison or what, okay? But, okay, so he puts on this cloak, okay? Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Peter thinks he's dreaming, This he's seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. This is a big, heavy gate. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked through the length of, the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Like all of a sudden, he's just alone. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. 
When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the front door. I want you to visualize this for a second. She's so stoked that Peter, who is up for public execution, is at the door. She freaks out and runs away and leaves him standing there. How many of you guys have, I love movies. How many of you guys have seen the movie Hook? Come on. Okay, good. You know when she opens the, like he opens the door and he's like, it's snowing! And then he closes the door? That's what happened. (laughs) Peter's still standing outside. He's like knocking still. She says, Peter's at the door. I love that this is in the Bible. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. I imagine Peter's getting frustrated at this point. Yo, I'm still out here, right? They were astonished when they saw him. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Yeah, you think? Uh, After Herod had made a thorough search excuse me, for, made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Whew. Yeah, he's kind of ticked. He is not happy. Okay, once again, our big idea. The Holy Spirit can deliver followers from any trial, but we need to trust him even when he doesn't. I think that a lot of this passage is given to what happens to Peter, which is, which is great. But if I'm honest, when I read this passage, you know what I'm concerned with? What the heck about James, man? I mean, the first two verses, James just gets offed. And we're going to spend more time there because I think it's important that we do. See, I think we trust God when it's easy. God did something amazing. Peter's miraculously released and we're like, amen. Yes, absolutely. I would trust God too. I just got out of prison, 16 guards. Nobody saw me. I used the invisibility cloak or whatever and I'm out of prison. It was a little annoying to stand at the door, but I'm, I'm trusting God. Absolutely. Peter's miraculously released. Maybe for you, an easy way for you to trust God is you invited a friend to ASM and they said yes. Like you finally worked up the courage. I'm going to invite a friend. I'm going to let them know I follow Jesus and I'm going to invite them to church. And they said yes. And you're, you're like stoked. Maybe your family's prospering. Maybe uh, mom and dad are, have gotten back together. Maybe there's a wayward uh, brother or sister, somebody who's walked away from your family and they've come back, there's like this prodigal thing going on and you're like stoked that they're back and there's, there's healing, there's prospering happening. Your dad got a new job, things are going well for you guys. The guy or girl you fancy is fancying you back, okay? Uh, you, uh, you're, you made whatever team you were trying out for, you got the part in the play. Or maybe for you, uh, your quiet time is absolutely en fuego. You are in God's word All the time, you are just like on fire for God, fill in the blank. It's easy. We're going to leave that point now because I think we understand that that is easy. We need to trust when it's difficult. When we don't necessarily understand. Even Peter, I want you to think about this. 
We look at this in hindsight and we go, absolutely, Peter should be praising God. You guys, when he was surrounded by 16 guards, Peter didn't know what God was going to do. He had no clue, but I bet you he did know one thing for sure. The same guy that had his friend, James, arrested. These guys aren't like acquaintances. It's not like how like I don't know the pastors from the Image Church, but we're both pastors. No. James and Peter did life with Jesus for three years. They're tight. James got killed by the same guy that arrested Peter. Peter is probably sitting in that cell going, you know what? This is probably it. Tomorrow's my time. He was well aware of what happened before. So what about James's sacrifice? I mean, how's that part of God's plan? If you've been following us for a while and you've been a part of this series, we read about Stephen, who was the first martyr, and Stephen was a deacon. He's a leader in the church, but he's not an apostle. He's not somebody who followed the earthly ministry of Jesus. He's not one of the, one of the 12 disciples. So we read that and we go, yeah, that sucks, but maybe that's like a fluke. Nope. Actually, Jesus promised suffering. Like, I'll never sell you guys short. Jesus actually promised if you follow him, it would be worth it. But he also says, if you follow me, he says it three times that I counted in a very short study, that if you follow him, you have to pick up your cross daily. Which means that you have to pick up an instrument of death. Jesus carried his cross, and then they hung him on it. Eleven times that I counted in the, in the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, Jesus says, basically, you're going to suffer if you follow me. This is part of the plan, actually. I mean, you might go, okay, fine, 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 fine. Okay, but an apostle being murdered? Like, that's a game changer. This is a different story now. Guys that are supposed to be the heroes of faith, they're dying. Well, It's not just James, actually. Ten of the eleven remaining apostles die as martyrs. That means they die for their their followership or their belief in Christ. Ten of the eleven. And then there's John, right? The brother of James, the guy that just got, got offed, right? He gets, like, exiled on this island called Patmos, and he just dies of old age alone. Wee! What do we do with this stuff? It's important that we, that we read further in this passage because here's what happens in verse 24. It says, But the word of God continued to spread and flourish despite intense persecution. In fact, the death of the apostles, the death of the very guys who followed Jesus becomes one of what we call the greatest apologetics or the proof that Christ actually rose from the dead. I want you to think about this. If you are, mm, I'm unclear if Jesus rose from the dead, consider that there, are, there were 11 guys, 11 non-crazy guys, who said that they saw Jesus after, three days after, he was killed on a Roman cross. And then they all died for saying that they saw that. Now, all right, somebody makes fun of you. You might be like, whatever, guys, let's keep it up. Like, people like us. They're, we're starting to gain some popularity. But people start killing your friends who are saying the same thing you are. 
I'm, if I'm Peter and I'm in prison, I'm like, look, I'm, it's a bummer about what happened to James, but it did not happen. It was a hoax. We made it up. Jesus didn't, get, Jesus didn't raise from the dead. You don't die for something you, don't, you know is untrue. They are killing friends. See, in my suffering, I want you guys to know that one of the great things that happened from John's death is this. That John's story brought many to Christ and some back to Christ who had wandered away from him much like John had done in his life. And it drew friendships back together. It drew friends together that would have normally never crossed paths. See, John walked a different life. He walked away from the church. And during his military time, all these guys came out of the woodworks that were part of his military family who had no concept of who Jesus was. And me and my friends who had been walking with John for the past year of his life were able to interact with those guys and clearly present the gospel and tell them that Jesus had a plan for them, that he loved them, that he liked them, that he wanted them. And I don't know what's going to come of that, but I know God can use it. Your suffering might look different. Maybe it's some type of rejection, some type of abandonment, some type of discomfort. It might just be generally in your life because we live in a sinful, fallen world where bad stuff happens. Or it might be because you're actually suffering because you believe and follow Jesus. There's this idea that a pastor named John Piper presents. It's this idea of, uh, of future grace. And he says this, he says, Gratitude looks back to grace received in the past and feels thankful. Faith, faith looks forward to grace promised in the future and feels hopeful. And that's what I'm going to ask you guys to do tonight in your small groups is this. You're going to look at how has God been faithful in my life? How is he faithful? What has he done? How has he been gracious to me? How is he being gracious to me? Get specific. Because that's what's going to help you get through times when they're not tough. When you don't understand right now what God is doing. When you don't understand the future what God is doing. You can look back to his past faithfulness and trust that he will be faithful still. See, James wasn't bummed out the moment he died. It wasn't like, really? Come on. Game over? What the heck? There's no like respawn? No. James was in the presence of God at that moment. James wasn't going, God, send me back. I wasn't done. The next thing is this, and this is where we're going to kind of end off tonight, and then I'm going to send you to your small groups after we close in a time of worship. We need to risk. We need to risk. Can I be honest with you that I am in the weak, weak Christians club? I don't risk enough. And I'm not going to ask you guys to raise your hands with me, but we are soft when it comes to following Jesus, man. I look at the disciples and I'm being convicted as I read the book of Acts going, man, I'm soft. I, I don't risk much to follow Jesus. Why were James and Peter in jail to begin with? Because they were speaking out loud the gospel of Jesus. They were preaching Jesus and it got them in trouble. And they knew it was going to get them in trouble. This is where this idea comes in that we've been talking about this year. This idea that we need to risk is them before us. That we need to consider those who don't know Jesus 
who don't have relationship with him before we consider what's most important for us, what's best for us, what do we want. We can become a very, very inclusive group or exclusive group, or we can become an inclusive group at ASM. Middle school, you got to help me out here because when we talk about them before us, when we think about camps, when we think about black ops, when we think about corn maze, I ask you guys, what is the question you must ask? Weak. Oh my word. I know you're in the room full of high schoolers. Please, again, what is the question we ask? Who do you bring? Now, it's a cheat because it was up on the screen, but I promise you, high schoolers, every time I ask that in the cellar, they scream it at me. They know it. Why? Because we're trying to establish a culture that looks like this passage where we're going to risk for Jesus. We're going to risk our popularity. We're going to risk our standing among other people. And when we ask the question, you guys have tall timber. I think you get this year, you guys are calling it Ignite High School. You guys, middle school, we leave for camp next weekend, but there is time. If you've wussed out up until now and you haven't invited a friend, if you've said, oh, you know, I'm only going to invite my friends to go to another church because they already believe in Jesus, and that costs you nothing, that's weak. What will you risk for Jesus? I'm not talking about inviting a friend from another church. Take it up a notch. Invite somebody who's risky for you. Invite a friend who you're a little worried that if, if you invite Jesus into the conversation or the fact that you go to church, you're going to church camp, it might cost you a little bit. They went to prison. James died. What are you worried about? What am I worried about when it comes to talking to my neighbors? I'm not just pointing a finger, guys. I'm talking to me too. Around the world right now, there are Christians losing their lives because they share the gospel. We're afraid to invite a friend to camp because it might be awkward. Let me say it again. Around the world right now, there are Christians who are literally losing their lives to share the gospel, to own a Bible, to share Jesus with their neighbors, and we are afraid to invite a friend to camp because it might be awkward. Can we just let that sink in as we worship and think about, like, do I even mean the words I'm singing? Because some of these songs call us to risky lives. Luke 9.26, and this is a little sobering, but I want to leave you with it. Luke 9.26, the words of Jesus, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. As you guys go into your small groups tonight, you're going to consider these things. I'm going to throw them on the screen real quick so you have them. We're going to sing some worship songs. And then middle school, after that second song, middle school girls, you're going to go down to the cellar. Uh, middle school boys, you're going to go up to W200 and get into your groups. And high school, you're going to break up around the room into your groups. But I want you to consider these things. How has God been gracious to you, past and present? In other words, if you don't know what gracious means, how has God been good to you? What is making it difficult for you to trust right now. Everybody's got something. Might be little, might be big. Rejection, discomfort, abandonment. Fill it in. What is it for you? Get specific, please. And what will you risk? Answer that question in your small groups. That last question is important because when you verbalize what you're willing to risk, the people who love you and care about you and your relationship and your development and your relationship with God, they can hold you accountable to what you are admitting you are willing to risk for God. 
And I think that we need to be bold in ASM. As we kick off a new year, as we kick off a new semester, I think we need to be bold in our followership of Jesus. We need to risk things for him. And we need to be honest, like I want to be honest with you guys, that sometimes we're a little soft when it comes to following Jesus. And I want to look like James and Peter and the early church. Is anybody else going to go with me? Will you guys go with me? Anybody? One person's like, yeah. All right, that's cool. There's one honest person here, and the rest of you are probably being honest too. Think about it while we worship.